Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. So we are going to be continuing in this series, and it will go from verses 10 through 18 of chapter 6. You're going to see that as we're going through this particular passage, we're going to take it a little slowly, uh, try to go as deep as we can, and hopefully through it, more than anything else, you will recognize that Christ is Lord over all, regardless of whether we're talking about the physical realms or the spiritual realms. We need not ever be afraid. We don't have to take on this topic and ever think that there's something that we should be so deeply concerned that we are quaking with fear. But at the same time, realize that this is a reality that so many of us very regularly pass by. And so I hope you're able to have your hearts and eyes opened during this series and that you'll be able to, at the end of it, be equipped to be able to stand firm, as Paul writes. This past week, during evening devotions, I had the time to be able to speak with Thomas and Terry, and if you were able to tune in on that, it was such a blessing. They shared what it was like to be on the native reservation for the, past, for the first four years of their marriage. And one of the things they noted was how spiritual the native peoples are. That is to say that it was their default worldview. They saw the world spiritually, and the world was a spiritual place Thomas had shared that in speaking with one native, that person noted that right next to him was the spirit of wolf sitting there. And I think for those of us who are tuning in, perhaps you might have passed that by or maybe heard that apathetically or maybe, just maybe, with some skepticism. Or maybe even more so with a rolling of the eyes saying, oh, I think there is much of our culture, our world, especially a secular humanistic world that believes solely that there is a natural realm and that's it. And it is easy to dismiss this area of the world. But tragically, more than just simply secular humanists and naturalists, there are many Christians who as well scoff and dismiss the ideas of a spiritual reality. And by doing so, whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, we really yield ground to the enemy. The enemy, Satan, and his angels, his demons, they regularly seek to turn me and you away from Christ. It's his greatest passion. It's what he's trying to do regularly. And he will use spiritual weapons against me and against you Because he knows that we are very spiritually vulnerable. 
this is not an attempt to find a demon behind every tree and under every rock. But frankly, we don't have that problem. We don't have the problem of over-spiritualize everything. Certain people do. But I would say most of us do not. Far more, we under-spiritualize our lives. We only see things through what we physically can touch or see with our eyes physically. Church historian Richard Lovelace rightly comments, It seems to me that much of the church's warfare today is fought by blindfolded soldiers who cannot see the forces ranged against them, who are buffeted by invisible opponents and respond by striking one another. I think he's absolutely right. We are so often blindfolded to the real enemy at hand that is regularly attacking us. And I hope through this series, you will come to see that this is a spiritual war. And that war is not letting up, not for a moment, not for a second. So until we believe this reality, your life and my life is really at stake. There is so much at stake when it comes to the life that we live. I think we see a little bit of this much more today than we did a year ago. Because a year ago, we were going about our lives, doing all sorts of things, trying to increase our status, our wealth, our career advancement. Today, very different story. All you need to do is just turn on the news or try to just come to the reality that who could have predicted a year ago, you would be right here on a Sunday, sitting at home, watching a worship. So the question is, are you ready for this fight? I hope that by the end of the series, you really will be prepared and ready to fight. And to answer this question, we'll look at two ways that we prepare ourselves for this fight. Actually, the whole message is about many different ways. So we're only going to talk about really the foundational aspects of how do we prepare for this fight. And the first is, according to verse 10, we train for war. And then the second, verses 10 and 11, we equip for battle. And the equipping is going to keep on going, but... We'll talk at least skim the surface and sort of plant the seeds of what the equipping begins with. So let's first look at verse 10 again, because in verse 10, we see this training and we see how important it is. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Whether you realize it or not, believe it or not, the Bible says that this is a spiritual war that the spiritual war is our reality. And what we see is only a shadow of that reality. So we need to realize that this is an ongoing, every day, every moment reality. And frankly, we tend to think of physical things only on the basis of what we see. Let me give you an example. I know a lot of the women, there's almost 60 women who are signed up and who are doing this Mark Bible study together on Monday nights. I don't know if you noticed, but for the past two weeks, I I wasn't there, but I was told that there were a lot of technical problems. So you might be thinking, well, it's just, it's all due to a bad internet connection, bandwidth problems. You know, what's interesting is that, so you have these internet problems and things don't work out so well and you log on and it doesn't work and you get sort of booted off. How tempted are you to just say, ah, forget it. 
you know what, it just doesn't work. And you just go back and do what you want to do. So there's two ways to look at that. Either it is, that's just a physical problem and it's a technological problem and you did your best, oh well. Or is it a spiritual attack? Now think about it this way. If there really is God and there really is an enemy who wants to do anything he can to deter people from knowing God, then when you're trying to log back in and it doesn't work, you're probably thinking, ah, forget it. Do you come up with that idea or is that just a little whisper? Just, is that just your tiredness or is it actually someone opposing you to actually pursuing Christ? See, Paul is telling us that there's an actual battle going on all the time. And you're either going to see things only through your physical eyes or your eyes will be open. As uh, Elisha told his servant, open your eyes because when they were surrounded by this physical enemy in this small little hut, it seemed as though all was lost until Elisha said to his servant, open your eyes, O God, O Lord, open his eyes so that he could see. And as soon as that happened, there were armies of angels surrounding that now small puny physical army you see there is a spiritual realm that is at work and it is doing everything it can satan the adversary the opponent of god and you and his demons are all out there to get you to not to get you but to get you to stop worshiping christ and so when you're actually trying to log on Really, it's important to say, oh, Lord, please help me to fix my eyes on you and then keep on trying. You know, why is it that when we try to read the Bible or pray, every single thought comes into our mind? I mean, it's, you know, there are things you don't care about at all, like the, how ordered or structured your dresser drawer is. And then suddenly when you're praying is, you know, that sock behind the wall, that that I lost, it's stuck in there and it's really bothering me. That comes in through prayer. When you're reading the Bible, suddenly those things that are mundane become so critical and the Bible becomes lesser. Why does it happen only when we pray and read the Bible? Why doesn't it happen when we're watching television? Why doesn't it happen when we're actually, you know, working out or doing, it just, for some reason, Every time, it's not just once in a while, every time we pray, every time we read the Bible, there is some distraction. Now, is that physiological? Partly. But the physiological part is a shadow of what is a true spiritual reality, that there is a spiritual realm as well. And both are always interacting with each other. It's not to say one doesn't happen to the other. It's both happen concurrently. And the enemy knows how to distract. He knows how to whisper. He knows how to get to you and to, to just strike you at all the little prompts and concerns and anxieties that, and he doesn't create them. He just exacerbates them through his lies, his deceptions, his schemes, his whispers. They're always there. Whenever you are trying to do something that tries to honor the Lord, if it's worship on Sunday, if it is preparing for a Bible study, if it's attending a discipleship group, if, if it's going out and evangelizing, if it's thinking and considering a global heart for the Lord around the world, why does it happen that we get physically so drained at those times? 
Why is it that when we're about to visit somebody and go and pray for them that we just feel like not going? The Bible tells us that it's because there's a spiritual war. Christians, we are at war. We're not going to be at war. We are currently at war. And until we see that this is our true reality, that the battle rages and is never ceasing, until we see the Lord face to face, until he says, well done, good and faithful servant, only then will we have the ability to withstand. So for this war, like any war, you have to train. And that's what Paul spends the whole letter of Ephesians doing is he is training us for battle. Now, a lot of times people look at Ephesians chapter six and say, this is the spiritual war passage. But notice that actually in verse 10, he uses the word finally. Finally is usually first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and finally this. So all of Ephesians, the whole letter is a spiritual war letter. The whole thing is meant to show you all the different ways that you fight this battle. And a lot of times we think that verses 10 through 20 is the primary ways we fight this battle. No, this is just the finally. But before was all the other points, all the other ways. So the training actually happens when you understand the whole of Ephesians. Now, I'm not going to read all of Ephesians, but I'm going to point out some points within Ephesians that Paul gives to me and you to say, this is how you train. You remember. You, you dig this deep into your soul. And just like a, at boot camp where you're climbing rope ladders and you're you know, running and marching and shooting and all these things, right? All of that repetition is meant so that when the battle comes, you don't need to think about the steps. It's already in there and it just happens because you've trained for it. So the training again happens when we understand Ephesians. So listen to what Ephesians says. First of all, Ephesians says that our God loves us deeply. Chapter one, verses four through five. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself. He loves us as sons and daughters. On this Father's Day, let's remember our heavenly father who loves us as sons and daughters so deeply. He also resurrected us from spiritual death, chapter two, verses four through five. But God being rich in mercy, Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Also, we are already guaranteed to reign with him. Not one day. We're going to do it now. We're doing it now. Chapter 2, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship Chapter two, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We've been brought near as a church of all races, of all backgrounds, of all all abilities, of all socioeconomic backgrounds. We've been brought near together through his blood. Chapter two, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Together, 
We are all his family. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We're united together because of Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We've put off the old self, put on the new self. Chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. You have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then chapter five, verse 18, be filled with the spirit. We are filled with his Holy Spirit. His indwelling spirit is in us. Paul says, if you're ready, if you want to get ready for war and you want to train, you need to remember all of this. Go back to Ephesians throughout this week, throughout these next few weeks. And I I really want to encourage you to begin to delve in, think, meditate, pray over these verses and let it sink into your soul. Without remembering these truths, you will be a soldier without training. And a soldier without training does not last long in the fight. So not only do we need the training, we need the equipping in verses 10 and 11. You need to be equipped for this battle. And according to Paul in these verses, there are two ways we must equip for this war. The first is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And the second is to put on the whole armor of God. And the sequence is very important. Paul intentionally puts be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might first because that is the foundation. And then on top of that is the put on the whole armor of God. That's laid on top. We can't get this backwards because if we're not strong in the Lord, you cannot put on the armor of God. So what does it look like to be both strong in the Lord and put on the whole armor of God? Well, first, to be strong in the Lord is to recognize that you are not strong in yourself. You're strong in the Lord, not yourself. That is to say that your talents and gifts and wisdom and personality and charisma, none of that is going to help you in this fight. That's not the way you win this war, this battle. In fact, on its own, apart from Christ, is absolutely useless. None of those things. I mean, I was just thinking about the fact that You know, there are churches around the world right now who are not able to broadcast like this. Or maybe they don't have instruments. Maybe it's just some pastor who's just doing what he can or maybe it's in a small hut. There's no smoke, no beautiful signs or a building. But none of that inherently apart from Christ actually fights the fight. It is the gospel alone and God uses people regardless of our talents and gifts. When we try to fight this battle with intellectual wisdom, with our own efforts and strength and our gifts and talents, essentially it's like going into battle with your fists and you might think, boy, I I have a really strong fist and this other guy comes with a a machine gun. You're not going to last too long with your fists against a machine gun. 
And that's essentially what we're doing when we try to fight a spiritual war with physical equipment. It's one of the greatest problems that Christians have in this fight is that we so often use fleshly weapons to fight a spiritual war. And no wonder why Christians sink amid trials, bad news, difficult people, discouragements. Because we, all of us, I'm guilty of that. I think you are as well. We tend to think that our personality, our smarts, our strategies, our investment, our money, our plans, that's all going to rescue us. That's going to make things right. We're seeing it today. We think that who's president, which political party is in power, you know, which country is in control, which military is the strongest, which economic policy is the best. Do these have any wisdom at all in the world? Yes. But they will not win a spiritual war. None of those things. No, friends, Paul is telling us this is a spiritual war that needs spiritual weapons. And using flesh and blood resources to fight this war will never work. You have to realize that the only way is to be strong in the Lord. When you become a Christian, you're still tempted to sin and we still sin. And sometimes we can sink so low because of this hopelessness, this despairing that sometimes we feel as though we can't be ever freed from this bondage, sin's bondage. I think every Christian has experienced this to some fashion or form. But if you are in Christ, you need to expect that this happens. This is not uncommon. It's actually very common. And it's, it makes sense in a spiritual war. So don't be discouraged. If you get down, even if you get depressed, mournful, moodiness, it's a, it's a battle. You know what? It means you're weak. And that's actually a really critical component of fighting the war. The most dangerous place to be is the person who thinks they are strong by their own power because their personality type is the type that never gets weak. That person is in deep danger. No one who joins the army can go right into battle without training and defensive armor and offensive weapons. You just won't last. You wouldn't do that in a physical war. So why is it that we do that in a spiritual war? The enemy is too strong, too well-equipped. You need someone stronger than you to be your strength and to train you and to lead you. So to be strong in the Lord is the realization that the strength of his might is so great that we need not be afraid. We can fight in confidence knowing that he is on our side. Remember when David goes out and fights Goliath and he, as he prepares to go, Saul says, here, let me give you this armor you're going to need. And he puts the armor on him and it is gigantic. Rob and I were talking about that and some of the elders on, at our meeting this past Thursday. And it's just this comical picture of David, this boy, essentially, shepherd boy, wearing this gigantic armor. And he puts it on and he's trying to move and he could barely move. And he says, I can't fight with this. And so he takes it off and instead he goes and does what he is good at, which is this five smooth stones and a sling. And then he goes and he sees this giant. 
Now, this giant is very, very big. But what David saw was not the giant. David saw that the God of Israel was behind him. And that's what he went forward with. He didn't go forward with the stones. The stones themselves did nothing too. But it was the God of Israel who was with him. And with that, David used whatever he had and he knew whether he used stones or just his fists, he would win because his God was the one who was fighting for him. The battle belongs to the Lord. Spiritually speaking, we're all flabby and weak. We all have no inherent muscles to fight this fight. We cannot fight Satan by our own power. I mean, that's really ridiculous. That truly is a little boy, a little infant boy fighting a giant. I mean, think of Satan as this 10-foot tall, muscular, super fit, expert MMA fighter, killer assassin who is trained in all sorts of cunning and warfare. And you're this little boy or this little girl, a toddler. And you're trying to defeat him by your own fists and by your own strength. It's, that's, it makes no sense. It's, you're, you're powerless. First Peter 5, 8, Peter describes Satan this way. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So you can see it is real really true foolishness to try to fight Satan with your own strength. But Paul says, that's not what you're supposed to be doing in the first place. Instead, we are to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The word might is different than the word strength. Might is referring to inherent strength, meaning it's, it's sort of someone who is naturally built you know, and strong. Our God has inherent strength. So if Satan is 10 feet tall, think of God and he's infinitely tall. But really, let's, let's say that Satan is 10 feet tall and God is the height of the Burj Khalifa, which is, you know, the, one of the tallest buildings in the world. I mean, that's how big God is. So Satan is standing there 10 feet tall and here's God with every single power, intellect, the raw power of the universe behind him. And he's on your side. He's fighting for you against the enemy. It is, I mean, you have to think of it like that. Why should I try to fight this fight with my own strength, will, power, technology, wisdom, whatever I have, money, and think that somehow I'm going to defeat Satan who is so strong? The only way is you need someone far bigger than Satan. And you do have someone. His name is is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's on your side. He's fighting for you. Our Father is with you. And you can be confident of that. But you need to know there is a fight to begin with. Also, be strong in the Lord. Paul is really saying, be made strong. Be strengthened. Meaning that it's passive. It's happening to you. You don't do it within yourself. God is doing it to you. And this happens, as we shall see all throughout, of all the different ways. So the whole armor of God is really the ways upon which God is strengthening you, empowering you, giving you weapons to fight this war. As well, we already know he's proven himself time and time again. We know how powerful he is. 
Because we know, it's not as though he just says, I'm really strong and leaves it at that. We have the Bible, God's record that shows us how strong God is. How strong is he? He is supreme over nature. There's a reason why there's a story of the parting of the Red Sea. It's not just a nice Bible story. It shows God's power over nature. So both in the Old and New Testament, we see God's power over nature. The parting of the Red Sea, Jesus calms the storm. Same idea. God is powerful over nature. He's supreme, and this matters to us a lot. He's supreme over disease. Remember the, one of the plagues was the boils. Jesus goes, and then in the New Testament, and he heals leprosy, lameness, epilepsy in a moment. We think that COVID is powerful. No, it's nothing. But, but, but a voice, if Jesus were to say, be still, it would be gone. He is supreme over natural law. Remember, God converted a, a stick into a snake. He filled oil from empty jars. In the New Testament, we see he converts water to wine. He increases fish, fish and bread exponentially just from thin air to feed thousands. Jesus walks on water. So natural law is completely superseded. As much as we are living by natural law, he can do anything. And the Bible is filled with that to show who God is. But even more than that, he is more powerful than Satan himself. So Satan is powerful, but he is far more powerful. From Job's temptations, Satan was still under God's power. He couldn't do anything without God allowing it to happen. Whenever Jesus would see someone demon-possessed, they quaked in fear when they saw Jesus. And then, of course, God is more powerful than death itself, the ultimate divider. So first, Jesus raises Lazarus. Elisha and Elijah are raising people from the grave. And then, of course, Jesus' own resurrection, showing not only is he powerful over death, he's powerful over sin and death forever. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So everything in Christ has been overwhelmed. Everything has been succumbed to him. We must not fail to see that though we place our ultimate trust in God who is strong, there's also this expectation that we put on the whole armor of God and they're not contradictory to each other. I can be strong in God, have he is strengthening me and I trust him, I fully place everything to him but that doesn't mean I say, well, victory belongs to the Lord, I can just do whatever I want, I don't have to worry, I don't have to, do, I don't have to um, try to put any effort into this. The Lord is saying, because you believe this, now go forth And this is how you are to live. And the way you are to live in this fight is to put on the whole armor of God. 
We would be completely wrong to think that Jesus, who is our savior, Hebrews describes him as our captain, the captain, the leader. So just like in war, when a captain or leader, he goes and he leads his troops and he takes his troops into battle. He doesn't just go by himself and says, I'll fight this battle by myself. You don't have to do anything. He leads with the troops coming behind him and so forth. My friends, you and I, we are part of this great army. We have to actively engage because we don't think there is a war. We know there is a war all the time. And it's not contradictory to trust God and as well to act and to move. So this coming Monday, there might be more technological problems, ladies. And you might get kicked off. And then you're going to hear a voice and says, well, I did my best. Now I can go actually do what I really need to do, which is do the errands and clean up and do all these things. And, or you can say, Satan, you have no hold over me. I want to grow in his word. I'm going to keep on trying. You know, when you're spending time reading the Bible in the morning and suddenly your to-do list just jumps into your mind. It's a good thing to just say, oh God, I need your help. Help me to focus on you. Help me to pray. Help me to see your word. And you'll be so amazed. Suddenly, it's like a camera, you know, where before I was fixing the, the focus on this camera that you're looking at. And we have to put it into focus. And the Lord just puts it into focus. What needs to be done? What's really at stake here? That's what it means. You trust God, but I also have to respond to that. So this war, it's to be fought by believing that Christ is our savior against this powerful enemy. Believing in him, being strong in his mighty power is how we must stand. And while doing so, as we will be spending the next few months on, we're gonna look at how to actively put on the whole armor of God. So I hope you pray through this, join us in this, come together in this. Let me close with this illustration. Currently reading a book on World War II and it's been really fascinating. But I don't know if you ever uh, had an opportunity to, probably most of you did in history class, but you forgot a long time ago. But in, in the winter of 1944, the Allied forces had begun to make their way through German territory. And the Germans, at this point in this time in the winter, because World War II ended in 1945, so not that much longer after. The Germans at this point were on the run. The war had already been now, uh, the Allies had already retaken France, Italy, and they were now going into Germany. And they were in the, within Germany itself. And the Germans were feeling defeated, exhausted, running out of supplies. The Allies had control over the air, which was significant. But also on the Eastern Front, the Soviet Union was pressing in and then the French, the British, the Americans were pressing in on the Western Front. It, it seemed as though this was it. Pretty much the war was done. For all intents and purposes, the war was over. But even though it was a foregone conclusion essentially by everyone that the war was over, Hitler refused to surrender. And so in a dream, he concocted this idea of one big stroke, which was he would take a number of his Eastern forces and bring them to the West and put them all and concentrate them all in the West 
with a sort of a, a spear stroke, a center spear stroke where he put all of his forces into one section and pierced through the line. By breaking through the line, his hope was to regain all that was lost. And his generals were so skeptical of this because if it didn't work, the allied forces would surround him and the war would essentially truly be over. But in one of his firebrand speeches, Hitler said these words. He said, wars are finally decided when one side or the other realizes that the war as such can no longer be won. Our most important task is to force the enemy to realize this. He can never reckon upon us surrendering. Never, never. Sounds like Hitler. The Germans were able to catch the Allies by surprise. And they created a huge bulge in the Allied line, which is why this battle in particular was called the Battle of the Bulge. While it didn't win the war for Germany and ultimately failed in its mission, it created so much more death and wreaked havoc on the Allied forces when they thought it had, they'd had won it. And essentially, they had won it. But the end result was the same. The Allies pushed forth, pushed back the bulge, and pressed their way towards Berlin, and the war was over. Hitler was killed by his own hand. Now, analogies like this are never perfect, but it gives you an idea. Jesus has won the war. That is assured. At the cross, when he defeated sin and death forever, it's been won. The, the war is over, at least in terms of its impact. But just like during this time with the allies in World War II, so too, though Jesus has won the war, Satan has this one last dream. I'm going to concentrate all my forces and I'm going to wreak havoc. I can still win. Just like Hitler, so delusional. I really think he's that delusional. He still thinks he's going to win. And so he is concentrating his forces against you. Against you. He wants to make sure that you, every day of every moment, turn your eyes away from Jesus and turn your eyes toward yourself. And so he is going to fight to hurt Jesus' family. And that's how evil tyrants and dictators and evil people do it. They don't just attack a person. They attack their family. And they know when you attack the family, you, attack, you really hurt the person because some people are willing to die just like Jesus. He died for us. But now Satan knows I can't do anything against Jesus. So the way I'm going to hurt him, I'm going to hurt his family. And he's going after you. And he's not going to stop going after you till the day that you die, till the day that you see the Lord. And he will do everything he can, pull out every tactic to make sure that you are miserable, you are grievous, you are beset with sin, you are distracted, you are tired, you don't want to live your life for other people, you don't want to care for others, you don't want to sacrifice anymore. You don't, there's, he wants to rob you of joy. He's an inciter. He's an accuser. He's always saying you're not good enough. There's no way God could love you. Look what you've done. Look at how evil your sin is. Look at your heart. And he's whispering that. He's shouting that to you all the time. But my friends, you're not powerless. You don't have to succumb to that. Paul says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors. You have to though realize first, this is a spiritual war. You cannot fight this fight on your own. But you have a great supreme God, 
a heavenly father who but with a simple voice can wipe away every accusation, every temptation. You need Jesus. You must remember the gospel. You must remember his love. That will never change. That's your weapon. That's your training. With that, you cannot lose. So let's get ready to fight this fight. Are you ready? I hope you are. Let's pray together. We're going to prepare our hearts for communion. Father, I just want to give you praise and thanks. You are so good. And um, you are merciful and kind. And we love you. We worship you. We thank you for your power, your might. Father, that you are with us. You're by our side. And we are never alone. No sin, no accusation, no temptation is so great that you cannot conquer. In fact, you have already. Through Christ, your Son, who has conquered and defeated death and sin once and forever. Father, help us not to believe the lie that we can fight this fight by our own intellect and power and strength, especially in the season where we're in our homes. We're not able to interact and even worship together as your people. We know that there are a lot of distractions at this time, a lot of worries. I know there's a lot of people who are living in fear. Every time they open the news, there's anger, there's anxiety, there's frustration. Oh Lord, help us to see that what we see physically is not how it truly is. And every injustice, every pain, every sorrow has been dealt with at the cross. So we look forward to see how we can move forward and fight this fight of faith. I pray, Father, especially for those who are growing weary and doing well, you would strengthen weak knees. You would lift up and raise up drooping hands. Lift our eyes, O Lord, to you, who is glorious and just. So we worship you, O God. We give you praise and thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.